You can look up and you can see them a little bit, but you just hear them with this awful groaning noise. And you don't know exactly where it's coming from. You see them, and by the time you see them, there's a fireball in your face. So the lights in the hallway have been shut off, and there's horrible noises coming out of people's rooms, punctuated by, yeah, once in a while, and yeah. You shot a gun, something blew up into a cloud of pixelated blood, and it was just perfect cause and effect. And just, I, I couldn't stop playing it. We marathon gamed from, you know, 8 p.m. until about 4 in the morning when my parents were stomping, you know, on the second story because they could still hear the shotgun blast through the subwoofer. There are so many people that can harken back to that time in the college dorms or at the office after hours or whatever where they were playing Doom and got a lot of permeation into the general culture. Hello and welcome back gamers to another episode of the Gaming Under Fire podcast. The podcast all about and made for fans of video game shooters. I'm your host and constantly 1% health doom guy, Chris, a.k.a. Tazman. And joining me on this nostalgic romp through space and hell, the guru of all things 90s PC gaming and allegedly a member of the Canadian CIA, Knucklehead. What's up, Knuck? Hey, Taz. How are you? Long time. Very long time. Uh, Knuck goes all the way back to the Bad at Halo show days as a... a once in a while co-host i think the last time i had you on was firefight had just been released for halo 5 firefight this i think me you and dead eye viper actually no i think i was also on your uh, one year anniversary episode as well oh yeah that that was even <laughs> i think that's even further back oh my goodness yeah, yeah. it's been so long uh, on, on a few but yeah i know the one year anniversary i think uh, you just had a little segment with a few of the previous hosts so but the last one that was featured was yeah you're right the the firefight episode so what uh, what have you been doing uh over the last well it's been a couple of years now what do you what, what have you been doing what have you been playing aside from from work game wise uh not much uh, still uh after all these years still playing rainbow six siege although uh earlier this year a little game called doom eternal drop let me help you to see Slayer. And I've been playing that uh, fairly uh, regularly. Completed the, the campaigns and got all the achievements, but I'm still going through every week to unlock the challenges in the uh, the series for the uh, skins. So that's still in uh, constant rotation. So it's uh, mostly those two. And then uh, for other single player, a lot of Hitman. Ooh, really? Yeah. I tried a little bit of Hitman. It was on uh, Game Pass. And I tried a little bit. I think I made it through the training mission, and then I did one of the other missions. And uh, I was like, uh, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have to actually pour a little bit more time <laughs> into this. This is very different than what I'm used to. Yeah, it's, it's very nuanced, though. Uh, the last two months that uh, IO Interactive were having the uh, community-featured contracts, I managed to get two of my contracts featured as well. So I was uh, quite happy about that. There you go. All right, so we are going to get started here. And uh, just before 
uh, we, we move on to uh, what uh, the topic of the podcast as far as what's going on is uh, just kind of talking about, you know, where the podcast is going and, and why we decided to do this. I, I don't know if you're aware up in uh, Canada there, Canuck, but uh, there's happens to be this whole uh, coronavirus thing going on. Coronavirus! Yep. <laughs> I don't know how it is for you guys up there. I, I feel like the United States is like the last place in the world that is still struggling with this damn thing. Oh, well, we, we've had recent spikes in some of the more populous cities, but my city where I am uh, in, in uh, northern Ontario, we've only got a couple. So we, we've had it very much under control, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. So I have been working from home since probably April, beginning of April. So I've been spending a lot of time at home between, you know, staying home from work and quarantine and not going out. And I was like, you know, I have this massive backlog of games that I want to play, mostly on Steam because I went out and I got a gaming laptop towards the end of last year. And uh, my Steam bank account has been hurting ever since. So... I figured since we got all this uh, encouragement to stay inside, I was going to start working on playing games, and I'm really terrible with mouse and keyboard. I've been a console player pretty much my entire life. Uh, I wasn't big into PC or computer gaming when I was growing up, so I wanted to try to move to mouse and keyboard. I was really not doing so well with more of the modern games, so I kind of thought, why don't I go back to the beginning? kind of learn the basics from there work my way up and that's when i started to play doom and yes just now at the age of 38 starting to play doom almost 30 years after the game release <laughs> man you are one pathetic loser uh, so that's where i'm starting and then as we kind of go through uh the the idea and the roadmap really for right now is just to cover all the games in the doom franchise so we'll cover doom the original the classic 1993 version today uh we'll touch a little bit on the ultimate doom but then we'll do doom 2 i'm thinking of doing doom 3 and all the kind of spin-offs as like its own episode and then we'll move into the more modern ones with the uh, 2016 game and then doom eternal so that should be a lot of fun much older than when I started. I mean, it came out when I was uh, 16 and started playing it. I guess within the year that it came out, uh, th- thankfully it was shareware at the time. So, <laughs> But of course, the, the cost of, for me just to get the shareware does just for the first episode, you probably paid it half the price for the full game on Steam. So Kanak is over there. He has played the original 93 Classic MS-DOS version. Yeah of doom correct yeah yeah uh, predate even windows 95 absolutely and then so i'm actually playing doom via steam as part of the doom 3 bfg edition so it's doom but it also included the ultimate doom uh, level thy flesh consumed in there as well as well as giving you some achievements uh, through steam so that's actually been kind of cool to unlock achievements for a 1993 game and, and bethesda also did the uh re-releases last year as well which have their own achievements on console yeah yeah all right guys so everybody grab your biggest bfg you can find grab your chainsaw and let's rip and tear our way through the 1993 classic doom And we'll start off with some breaking news, although it's not really breaking news, depending on when you're listening to the podcast. But uh, as of, I believe, late last week, mid-last week, 
We had some amazing breaking news regarding Microsoft and ZeniMax Media. Microsoft has reached a deal to acquire ZeniMax Media, the parent company of Bethesda Softworks, for, they brought out the big checkbook for this one, $7.5 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars. That now makes Bethesda properties such as The Elder Scrolls, Fallout, Wolfenstein, Quake, Starfield, and of course Doom, now being properties of Microsoft. And we're going to see almost an immediate effect of that sale here with Doom Eternal making its way to Xbox's Game Pass subscription service on October 1st. Canuck, a lot of, uh, lot of conversations going around out there on Twitter, on Facebook, on groups, on message boards, as far as what this means for Microsoft, what this means for Bethesda. What are your thoughts when you hear Bethesda and its, and its properties now? associated or exclusive to Microsoft? Uh, I think it's good. Uh, obviously, the exclusivity, uh, that's a, a big question. I don't see some of the bigger franchises such as Doom going exclusive. I mean, time exclusive, maybe, it depends, but there's just too much money on the table with, with those games. Um, my, Microsoft, they're, they're moving more towards uh, I know some people hate the term games as a service. This definitely uh, bolsters their Game Pass offerings and, and makes it far more attractive, but they're not going to just say, oh, we're going to cut off uh, the people who play on Nintendo or, or Sony or, well, PC is less of, a, uh, of an issue, but uh, uh, Steam. At the same time, you know, if it was uh, someone like Sony, those walls would be coming up right away. Uh, Microsoft seems to be a bit more about the service than the platform. Uh, it, I think it's good. Um, they they do bring in their own uh, high standard. And, and that, uh, I mean, when you think of Bethesda, some people think that the B stands for bugs. And... Uh, They've definitely earned that that reputation, so I think we'll we'll see an improvement in terms of quality, not not just in terms of, of gameplay. I, I mean, those games do have excellent uh, uh, gameplay, but uh, just with uh, with quality control, and uh, even still, uh, the other thing is uh, prior to the acquisition. Bethesda had exclusive games going to PlayStation and Phil Spencer has commented that they will be honoring those contracts. So uh, I, I think that that also is kind of a sign that, yeah, we're not pulling up this this walled guard. And I, I don't think that that's their current philosophy right now. The strategy for Microsoft is not the same strategy that Sony is incorporating. Sony wants to move hardware units. That's why Sony works really hard on getting exclusive games getting the right kind of exclusive games, spending a lot of money on timed exclusive with third-party developers. They really, their entire model for their business is moving hardware. Microsoft is not playing that game. Yeah, sure, they're going to present the best console that they possibly can to give their consumers that choice, but that's really what Microsoft's strategy has been is the choice for the players you can play on your console you can play on pc you can play games on your android phone right now for god's sakes they don't care where you play they want you playing their games and i think game pass is what is central 
to that strategy, they want to make sure Game Pass is in as many places as it can be. They've got Game Pass on PC. They've got it on your console. They're going to have it on your phones. I envision a day where you see Xbox Game Pass on Nintendo. Yeah, you you said it there. I mean, Sony is playing the hardware game and you look at the backgrounds of both companies. Sony is a hardware manufacturer. The Walkman, TVs, DVD players, and, and the Blu-ray tech. Uh, Microsoft, it's a software company. Uh, and uh, Windows is always, I mean, it's not open platform like some of the OSs out there, but it's fairly um, ubiquitous. And it doesn't matter if you buy your laptop from Dell or Acer or HP or some of the others. It's like, you know what, you're, you're going to have the ability to run our, our OS. And honestly, I think it's going to come down to, and, and what it always really has kind of come down to with Microsoft and the, the other console developers if, if I, I guess for the lack of the other the other platforms is how will how willing are they they to play nice with others it seems like microsoft and nintendo play very nice together and i think that they're both kind of saying hey if we kind of combine some of our resources here we can reach an even larger audience sony is very much always kind of they've got the shields up and might this might be something that forces sony into a bit of a more play nice with others with microsoft we'll kind of see how it goes like phil spencer said it is going to be a case-by-case basis i really think it's going to depend on what kind of relationship microsoft and sony start to develop as a result of this if sony wants to kind of keep their we only worry about ourselves shields up approach i do envision seeing these being exclusive to the Microsoft ecosystem and kind of locking Sony out, which would be really unfortunate for PlayStation gamers who have been able to play these games in the past, who have had access to these games in the past, who have de- developed fans of these games you know, in the process that now are not able to play them. It's always easy to say, hey, you know, just get the other system. Everybody's got a computer. You can do it through that. Um, that's always kind of been a PlayStation fans mindset when Xbox fans are kind of get left out in the cold on something, uh, but it's not quite that easy. I also necessarily, it's tough because this is again, a, a company that was primarily uh, a third party developer focusing on getting it out on as many platforms as possible. So it, it does suck for those PlayStation players to kind of get shut out that way, but that's the business of, of gaming right now. So exclusives sell consoles right now with microsoft releasing the xbox series x later on this year and not having halo infinite as a launch title i think is something that might have also played into going this route yeah it's no coincidence that they announced the news uh, the day before pre-sales uh, went live so with that we'll see kind of how it goes and where they decide to go from there but for right now doom the doom slayer i've seen a lot of fan art uh, of people putting the doom slayer and master chief together which has been really cool to see uh, man what what a mashup that would be i can see new ip definitely being exclusive and and it's like you, you know what sony you can have doom you can have fallout but you know what uh arcane they're going to do a game similar to say prey but you're not getting that all right so with that guys so we're going to go ahead and we're going to start talking about the classic 1993 doom 
And since we're going to be spending the next few episodes on arguably id's most popular franchise, it seems only fitting to spend a few moments on the history of the company itself. As far as id, it all began back in 1990. Programmer John Romero and engineer John Carmack were brought together to work for a new division of the computer company Softdisk called Gamer's Edge. Now, if you've never heard of Gamer's Edge, think of Netflix, but, and not like Netflix now, like the streaming, like Netflix when Netflix started, where they used to send you DVDs in the mail. That's what Gamer's Edge was for floppy disks for computer games back in the early 90s. They would send you a disk every month You'd pay a monthly subscription and they would send you a disc and you had no idea what was on it until the disc arrived. So sometimes you had games on there that were awesome. Sometimes you would have games on there that sucked. And then you could take that floppy disc, reformat it and load it up with pictures of photoshopped celebrity nude photos or something. I don't know what people did with new, with the discs after when they had crappy stuff on it. Uh, AOL, I just threw in the garbage. The, the CDs I actually turned into coasters. Ah, yeah, there you go. So John Carmack was obsessed with getting the PC to be able to handle uh, smooth side-scrolling games like Mario Brothers did on console. Gaming consoles were far better able to handle this, being dedicated gaming devices, unlike the jack-of-all-trades PCs at the time. PCs were doing tile-based scrolling, which resulted in a pause while the PC drew the environment in chunks of tile strips, aka chunking and it's really interesting to think about gaming consoles actually being better gaming devices than pcs in 2020 yeah and uh, i mean going back at the time i mean this is one of the things that that wolfenstein and, and doom really revolutionized was having the game engine being completely separate from the art prior to this it was all you, you go back super mario brothers mega man contra all, all those side scores i mean the art and the level everything it was one item what they did with the the games that they would be releasing uh, so, soon after uh, forming id is having this separate game engine in one night john carmack along with fellow gamers edge programmer tom hall was able to make the first level of Mario 3 on PC with smooth, non-chunking side-scrolling. A first for PC gaming. They actually made a disc and left it on John Romero's desk, and it was the first level of Mario 3 with a character from one of John Romero's old games. And the, the whole team kind of flipped out. And so they spent a ton of time making an entire Mario Brothers 3 game as an option for a PC port, they sent it to Nintendo. Ballsy move, by the way. Completely infringing on their intellectual property. And then sending it to them and say, hey, you can put this on PC, you just have to pay us for the work that we did. I mean, obviously now it's completely foreign, but back then, I mean, go back even 10 years prior with, uh, in, in the uh, early 80s, I mean, there were the MIT students uh, having those add-on kits for Missile Command in the arcades. And yep, then yep, that's yep. how Miss Pac-Man was even born by one of their... Uh, their enhanced kits to make it more difficult. Uh, John Romero's programming, uh, specifically a game called Pyramids of Egypt, caught the eye of Scott Miller of Apogee Games, 
who would later contract Romare and his crew to make games and distribute them under his company via shareware. This is kind of the wild west of programming back in the early 90s. So Scott Miller was trying to reach out to John Romero by sending him fan letters written like they were written by a kid. And he would sign a different name on it every single time, but the address would be the same. And the only way John Romero caught on was he was reading a magazine and they were talking about Scott Miller and his his gaming company, Apogee Games. And at the end, it had Scott Miller's contact information. And he's just like, where have I seen that address before? And he looks on his wall. He's got this wall where he's keeping all these letters because he thinks he's got all these fans all over the place that are sending him fan mail. And every single letter had that same address from there. So he got in touch with him. He was super pissed at first, thinking he was like playing a joke on him or something. But uh, Scott Miller was trying to contact him and using different names because software companies were really conscientious about their talent and their talent getting taken away and poached by other companies, which is kind of like what they did here. And so they'd be reading developers fan mail and uh, censoring out or throwing away other companies trying to poach their programmers from them. Gaming's gotten so much bigger, but the cream rises to the top and everyone can think, oh, this guy's with this company, this guy's with that company because it's my favorite game. Everyone knows uh, Jason Staten, for example, for for, uh, Halo and obviously uh, John Romero for for Doom. I mean, doesn't matter what he's done since he left software. I mean, He's always going to be thought of with id. Apogee would distribute Romero and Carmack's games using the shareware model, offering them higher margins for sales of games than they were getting with Gamer's Edge and also via any sort of traditional retail. Uh, shareware is offering a piece of a game for free, but customers would have to pay to get the rest, so they would make it like like Doom. So Doom is the first chapter was available free via shareware. And then if you wanted the other two chapters, you would have to send a check to, I think in this case for them, it would have been Apogee. You have to send them a check and then they would send you the rest. Or no, for Doom, they it published Doom on their own. They actually cut Apogee out after Commander Keen after and Commander Wolfenstein. Keen. Yeah. The, uh, the, the shareware, I mean, yeah, like when I bought it, uh, I mean, it was just went to, well, it was Electronic Boutique at the time, but EB Games or GameStop, depending on which uh, side of the North American border you're on, went in there, paid it for a couple of dollars and got this whole new game. Of course, the the beauty of shareware, though, was uh, going back, Wolfenstein 3D. It was like the tape circuit for Metallica. I mean, like, no one bought Metallica, but everyone had their music just don't tell lars that was the irony when they sued napster so what would end up happening is uh carmack carmack and hall super mario 3 port they would take that and instead of super mario uh the team would put together the game called commander keen which i had mentioned a pc side scroller that was distributed by apogee that would become a huge success for the group and with their first royalty check from apogee uh, the original four, John Romero, John Carmack, Tom Hall, and Adrian Carmack, no relation to John, would then form their own software company. They shortened their ideas from the deep moniker that they were using just to id software. So 1991, id is officially born. Apogee, by the way, would also utilize the same tech for Commander Keen. And with a little bit of assistance from John Carmack, would make their own 2D scrolling game called 
Duke Nukem. Hail to the king, baby. If anybody's ever heard of that. No, I, I, I think only the old people know. Uh, I think he's been missing since 2011. Probably on milk cartons. <laughs> Some people will say he's been missing even longer than that. The, the team's next focus would dive into the realm of 3D. John Carmack would work on a 3D engine, testing it out with games like Hover Tank and Catacomb 3D, both released in 1991. That was their testing ground for their game. The godfather of first-person shooters, I've already said, and we've mentioned a few times, Wolfenstein 3D. Um, Wolfenstein itself, uh, as I've already said, is kind of worthy of its own series of episodes, so I won't get too much into it here other than Wolfenstein was a smashing success. They sold 200,000 copies of the game, uh, and those were all shipped by the end of 1993. That's just the paid versions. I don't know how many million, how many copies they sent of just the shareware version. Uh, I think they said it's like one percent. I think one percent uh, is is people that actually would buy the rest of it. Uh, but still, that's a that's a ton of copies of a game in 1993. I had a copy of the shareware because I copied it. I mean, I, I remember it was uh, December of '92. Uh, and that we were done with the high school Christmas concert. And it's like, no one really had class in the afternoon, but uh, myself and a couple of buddies, we went to uh, the resource center in the library and lo and behold, Wolfenstein 3D is on there. So we're playing it all afternoon. And it's like, oh, well, here, let's grab a copy of the files and, and that and spread around. Uh, from the school's perspective, I guess it was a virus, but DOS didn't have virus scanners. Uh, well, the, we'll talk about that here with Doom because any issues that libraries and computer labs were having with Wolfenstein were multiplied tenfold when Doom came out. So while most of its employees were hard at work on the Wolfenstein prequel Spear of Destiny, John Carmack was already looking forward and developing the newest engine, and that would be the engine for Doom, id Tech 1, a.k.a. the Doom engine. That engine, I mean, like, it was definitely a huge improvement over what was done with, with Wolfenstein. I mean, lighting, different heights, not everything. Like, Wolfenstein is very boxy. <laughs> And that all the walls are 90 degrees and that, I mean, just the different wall types. Uh, when the calendar turned over to 1993, John Romero decided to send out a press release before they'd really even started to work on the next game, Doom. Basically already advertising it by saying, quote, our next game will be Wolfenstein times a million. So as far as Doom and Doom's development, it took the level design and gameplay that was so successful from Wolfenstein and cranked it up to 11 for Doom. Uh, instead of a historical war setting, John Romero suggested a futuristic setting on an alien world, and the team sought inspiration from their uh, massive Dungeons & Dragons sessions, uh, with one particular session ending with the world being overrun by demons. Movies such as Evil Dead 2 and aliens and the title of the game itself actually came from a movie is from a line in the tom cruise movie the color of money what you got in there in here doom a lot of inspiration for the team at the time i've been listening to doom masters uh, it's a book on the history of id and the development of games like uh, commander keen wolfenstein doom quake and uh their dungeons and dragon sessions were no joke. Like they had one that lasted for years before it ended. So these guys, they were, they were definitely the programmer nerd stereotype of the time, but uh, they knew their stuff and they took, they took the things that they knew and the things that they liked 
and they put it into their work, which is probably you know a big reason as to why or what they did was so successful. You look at John Carmack. I mean, he loves these games. Uh, I mean, he went back and revisited Wolfenstein and 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 Doom where, when the iPhone first came out. And you can play games and with through apps. I mean, he released. He went back into the code reprogrammed for the iPhone for for an iOS app. So and, and even still, I mean, he. That was one of his comments when tying back to our previous conversation about uh, Zenimax being bought by Microsoft uh, as he's working with Microsoft right now. It's like it gives him a chance to to continue to revisit these games. I mean, like labor of love doesn't even begin to describe these games to these people. And even for him, it's it's not even so much the game itself, but it's it's the tech he's. He is a junkie for continuously trying to improve and bring tech for games to the next level. Like that's that's his whole thing. If he can, you know, just just kind of listening to this book and 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 getting an idea about these guys and and the life and the times of it, it's like they they're so focused and they're so driven. And anything that's not helping them row the boat in the direction that they're going, man, they toss it aside. Whether it's a location that they're at that's not working, whether it's friends that they have working with them that are just not pulling their weight anymore, I mean, they'll they'll let them go, and it borderlines sometimes. I think on being impulsive, but I think they just they have such an idea of what it is that they want to do and such a singular drive towards it uh, that it kind of looks like that. But as the the result is, you know, game changing tech and programming and level design that you know without them doing that where would we be right now who knows doom was initially supposed to be a licensed tie-in to the movie aliens we're on express elevator to hell going down Uh, but the team decided to drop that idea so that they could retain more creative control over the project with them being singularly focused and driven i can't see them being under the thumb of a movie studio to make a game. Wolfenstein 3D was based off of two older Wolfenstein games from the 80s. Doomed, it was definitely their mark. It's like, this is our first game we're publishing. They wanted to have complete control. I mean, yes, they took inspiration from Aliens, Platoon, Evil Dead, uh, but uh, they made something um, truly unique and, and definitely left a mark. Definitely unique, but you can definitely see the tie-ins. I mean, you've got futuristic Marines utilizing high-tech weaponry to investigate an unknown anomaly, combating a deadly foe. You have a major human conglomerate with less than upstanding morals as kind of the backdrop and all of life, you know, if humanity in the balance. I mean, there, there's definitely a lot of parallels in there, but they kind of took those parallels and like you said, they kind of made it their own. So that way it's not like, oh, hey, I'm playing Aliens. It's like, oh, it's just kind of like the same genre as that and then kind of made it their own and into into something that was unique. But we also, we cannot forget about the music influences. 80s and 90s metal bands like Metallica. Pantera. Slayer.
they while they were developing and coding their games, they had an 80s style boombox in the middle of their office. And every day somebody would get to play whatever they wanted and it was mostly metal. They would crank it up. They got into a lot of trouble at Softdisk for doing that. Uh, people at Softdisk did not like John Romero and John Carmack. So definitely a lot of that plays into not only the game and the style and, and the mood that you get, but also just the music in the game itself. Uh, Robert Prince pulls together uh, a 16-bit score that pushes players forward to completely decimate evils of hell on all levels. I mean, it's it's something even here in 2020, like I'm playing the game and I'm kind of bopping my head to the music while I'm playing and while I'm hearing zombies moan of death after I shoot them with a shotgun. It's 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 pretty good for, you know, even now to to say that they were able to do that in 93. That's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, even with Doom Eternal, uh, uh, you can unlock music from the previous games. Uh, and I, I always go back to at Doom's Gate uh, when when I'm on the, the space station. I mean, so, sometimes I'll go with mm-hmm. the, the Quake 3 theme just because uh, Bill Lieb from uh, Frontline Assembly, he's one of my favorite bands. But... Uh, so uh, there, that's a bit of bias, but God give credit. I, I mean, that, that in- intro uh, music in uh, episode one, mission one and the hangar uh, at Doom's Gate. Uh, yep. It's to, to me, it's, it's just so well known. It's like the same way how people can all of a sudden start humming world one level one for uh, Super Mario Brothers. It's gotten to the point, of, it's cliche, but it's gotten to the point of being iconic that you hear it, you know what that is. Everybody knows if you are a doom fan and you've played doom you've played it for a, a, any significant period of time you could hear just that opening riff and know exactly what it is that's that well known and it, it's absolutely amazing it's it's a lot of fun i've actually been pulling just the soundtrack from the games uh, while i've been doing my playthroughs just to kind of put a list together the doom engine allowed for a complete overhaul in level design from what we had in wolfenstein Kind of like how you were saying before, the the walls were always grid-like in Wolfenstein. With Doom, walls can now be placed at any angle and at varied height. So this thing, this allowed for things like stairs, platforms, elevators. They even found a way to make windows uh, and outdoor spaces. Uh, in addition to that, walls and floors could be textured, and animations were made for water, toxic sludge, blood, lava. I mean, they went full out on the texturing to really create these levels and these environments that you really kind of can get into as as the player beauty is i mean with this i mean when they made this game it seems like nowadays i mean this is going back even the past 20 years since the late 90s where you have to have a top of the line machines and and graphics cards and maxing out your ram and everything when they made wolfenstein 3d and doom it was made to run on any machine that was reasonably current not to have performance that matter if you were on a 386 or a 486 it would run on both obviously it would run better on the 486 but yeah their their target was to get that mid-level machine that was in if if people had computers at that time because i know it's crazy to think about a time where a a home didn't have an in-home pc but they were aiming for people that had those mid-range computers libraries computer labs stuff like that where you know they could get to the game have access to it and be able to utilize it without having to have the latest and greatest and still have it run really well and still be able to do the things like that that would 
kind of take it to that next level. You had the futuristic sci-fi horror setting that allowed for the team to be creative with its levels and designs. They didn't need to conform to any kind of real world setting. They could just kind of let their imagination go. And the, and he talked about this before, the dynamic lighting, allowing colors to gradually fade into darkness to kind of give it that semi sort of 3D aspect as, as things start to fade as it gets out into the distance just like it does in the real world. And the ability to change lighting, making things darker, uh, flickering lights, like you were saying, terror, you know, just kind of bringing that sense of apprehension and fear and terror into to certain levels. And those hidden switches too. I think it's Toxin Refinery on Knee Deep in the Dead. You go yeah. and you grab the blue key. And as soon as you grab the blue key, the lights go out, a trap door opens, and you got a bunch of imps coming at trying to throw fireballs at your ass. So being able to kind of add those things in there. In the past with Wolfenstein, Wolfenstein's lighting was the exact same in every room, in every hallway, on every level. So they were able to really kind of change it up and make for something that had a little bit more suspense to it. I mean, just thinking back to my youth, and uh like just going from wolfenstein to to doom it was like even though it was a year it was like going from a new generation i mean even though games weren't changing consoles weren't changing because super nintendo and sega genesis they were still only a couple of years old i mean like this just brought it it was like going from the the next time i i, I think i would see this type of change would be a when we started going to, to 3d and that but that wasn't just that was just because oh my goodness this is 3d it was this uh, i mean these games while they they did pure 3d i mean it was kind of what what's referred to as 2.5 but man it looked real at the time uh, and i mean some of it's a bit of uh, player imagination because it just really immersed of course with doom and slaughtering demons from hell they upped the violence from wolfenstein as well crank that up to 11 you have demons are slaughtered into piles of blood and guts called giblets which i thought was hilarious that they stay uh, what a great use of the word giblets and we're re- referring to the entrails left behind after you kill a demon. Yeah. A rather I, I satisfying sight to see, too. Smashing pumpkins into small piles of putrid debris. That's also one of their greatest cheat codes. I thought it was really interesting how in games, even games today, despawning bodies. If you kill all the demons on a level, and for whatever reason you decide to go back, as you go back, all the bodies are still there. They don't despawn at all. So you can actually go back and you can always see your carnage that you kind of left behind as, as almost kind of like a reward for the player. You know, you don't have, you don't have things in Wolfenstein. Like you don't have limited lives. You don't have high score tables. You don't have scoring pickups. You don't have those traditional motivators for players. So the motivation for doom has to be something that's, that's something that you're excited about or proud of doing. And if you can kind of go through and see all the carnage you left behind, there's a sense of, of achievement and satisfaction in that and, and seeing, you know, this is this is how badass I am. Look at all these dead bodies everywhere. The only motivation was is if you died, you'd respawn at the beginning of the level with just your fist and pistol. So if you had uh, all the weapons, unless you were saving... <laughs> Oh no, I'm that. saving, man. Forget forget that. I get to a point where I'm not familiar with, I'll I'll hit the quick save. Cause yeah, no, I'm not starting at the beginning of some of these levels with only a fist and a pistol. Are you kidding me? Like I'm I'm playing through Hurt Me Plenty right now. Like I haven't even touched the ultraviolence setting yet. And I I did nightmare. I tried nightmare setting once on the first map, and those first two former sergeants on that left room 
they destroyed me. So I was like, I don't think I'm going to do this. I think I'm going to go ahead and work my traditional way through the, uh, through the difficulty settings. But yeah, it's, uh, no, no. Quick save is a, is a lifesaver for me. I was always a bit of a masochist. I would just save at the beginning of the level and try to make my way through. The team's focus on this was to take everything that was great in Wolfenstein and continue to do it. So fast-paced action that you just you are jumping in and you're going from the first beat of the first riff on Hangar. You've got your weapon in hand already and you're out and you're killing zombies. It's, it's go right from the start. And everything is about pushing you forward moving you through the through the different sections of the level trying to get to that exit door there is no room for any kind of backstory into here and what's going on nothing about motivations or why you're doing it nobody needs to tell you why you need to shoot a zombie there's a zombie in front of you and you have a weapon you're going to shoot the zombie that's why you're going to do it uh this idea uh that was really something that John Romero and John Carmack were really enthusiastic about Unfortunately for their creative lead, whose whole job at id was to create story for a game, uh, this kind of ran contrary with him. Tom Hall had actually put together a document during the development of Doom called the Doom Bible, which is still out there. You can find it on the internet. I have it saved to my desktop as a PDF. It is 84 pages. Eventually, I will find time to actually go and dive through it. They took his entire document and except for maybe a couple little bits on there that they kept as sort of a story in the actual instruction manual that you get when you'd ordered the game completely threw it out that idea of story and the importance of story is really kind of wrapped up with john carmack's famous quote in response when asked about a story in game where he said quote story in a game is like story in a porn movie it's expected to be there but it's not that important a very interesting stance for a guy who is like he's not playing Dungeons and Dragons. He's the Dragon Master. He's done story for games that he did in the past. I felt like this was a very interesting take for somebody for games and story being in game. I mean, even Super Mario Brothers, the story was simple, but the story was there and it made sense. For Doom, the story is there. The story is very simple. It makes sense for now, but I think this kind of cavalier attitude towards story and the universe comes back to bite them later. When I played through, I, I mean, Lone Marine, you're trying to kill everything. and uh, uh, But uh, at, at the time with, with games, I mean, a lot of games were, were very basic. I, I mean, it's not like now where you have full cutscenes and huge amounts of dialogue in, in game. I, I mean, going back, Super Mario Bros., yeah, you got what's in the booklet, and then you play through the level, and it's okay, you got to stomp everything, and oh, sorry, the prince is at another castle. I, I, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't Shakespeare or anything. I, I, I mean, yeah, there were some games that, that had a, a bit more, but I mean, at the time with what doom offered it wasn't that much different than what was normal at the at, at the time i mean mind you yeah we're starting to get games with with static cutscenes and, and and stuff like that but uh I, I mean it was just like okay this is how it how it is i mean 
I give this to, game to my, my son in a, in a few years when he's old enough. I mean, he's probably going to look at me like I've got two heads and, but I mean, who, who knows what, uh, how, how he'll, he'll think. And, uh, but, uh, it, it's definitely, uh, something if you were there at the time, you don't really think too much about it. It's, but if you're going back, yeah, you're going to notice. And and I think I think at the time I think they they were trying to emulate a lot of things that were being done on console. Console was doing very simple storytelling in and of itself whereas PC games, I mean you get a lot of your text-based RPG type games that had a lot of story on PC. So this was a little bit different. But by flipping it on its head, I think that's part of what made it so popular was they took everything that got in between you and killing bad guys and moving on to the next level, they ripped that out. And so that way, that's really all you're doing. You're just trying to mow your way through hell to get to the exit and get out. And so they pulled everything else that wasn't really kind of like everything else that it does. If it's not part of what we're is, what we're trying to do, we've got this singular focus. We're going to get rid of it. Story was getting in the way. So they said, we're going to rip that out and take it and remove it and we're just going to worry about killing as many zombies as you can and getting out like i said that's great for the first game but that attitude about story never changed and so you start to see some discrepancies with backstory with doom 2 the ultimate doom like when we talk about the ultimate doom and they added that fourth story where does that take place is that on earth is it in hell is it on mars we don't know and they don't really explain that very well and then you get to doom 3 and you got to wonder, is Doom 3 a prequel to the original Doom? Is it a soft reboot? Is it a f- complete reboot? And nobody was really having any of these answers. So it led to a lot of different fan speculation and things on fan sites that I was on the Doom Wiki this week doing research. They're still arguing about what all that means is to this day. So there are people that do care, I think, now, especially more than maybe back in 1993, because people see gaming more as that type of storytelling entertainment interactively that you don't get with watching a movie. And, you know, it's creating issues now, but at least for the time and for the very first game, it wasn't that big of a deal because it was just all about getting you in, getting a gun in your hands as quickly as possible, clearing out rooms, getting to the exit. Nowadays, I mean, Everything has lore. Everything is multimedia. You look at Halo is a classic example of, of, of that. I mean, Doom doesn't have it or didn't have it. And, and now they're trying to, to do that. And and um, and now with the even Doom Eternal, I mean, like, okay, is the Doom Slayer Doom guy? Yeah. <laughs> from 1993 and 94 and there's speculation and he is and same way i mean you you add doom 64 into the mix and there's another monkey wrench but uh, uh, i mean i guess the best way to, to summarize is, is uh, to use a, a phrase from uh, bioshock infinite uh, constants and variables and that there's a lot of things that are the same and then there's uh, things that are different. Absolutely. And and I think it leaves it open for interpretation and people can make their own stories out of it. And there's there's no 
wrong way to look at it. And I think that that's, that's kind of fits in with the id philosophy too, of allowing people to kind of take what they've already created and roll with it. Uh, we talk about it with the modding of the game. I mean, I think you can take that same attitude to the story of the game and that they're allowing you as the fan to say, I don't know, take the bones that we gave you and make something that's out of it. And if it fits, then great. You, you've, that's cool with us. So um, a lot of different ways to, to look at how this is going, but Honestly, without that that story, there's a little bit of a backstory in there that's in the manual. But after that, you're in a gun, you're in the hangar, and you are moving. From here on out, it is nothing but fast-paced, instant-in-your-face action. A formula that worked well with Wolfenstein, repeated uh, to an even larger degree with Doom. While you can use things like doors, walls, and pillars as quote-unquote cover... Your best means of action is getting right up into the demon's grill. Also, the uh, origin of a little strategy called circle strafing came from Doom and is a strategy that is still used in first-person shooters today, uh, specifically with games with zombie modes in them. The circle strafe is very, very effective. Bigger thing with with circle strafing, it wasn't so much in-game. I mean, most people at the time were playing just keyboard with this. I mean, there was a basic mouse control but not to the extent of of now where, where, where people are playing uh, mouse and keyboard and doing uh, 360 no scope sniper shots which is probably an excellent name for a band but uh, back, back then <laughs> most people are using keyboard I mean the arrow keys Control was fire. Shift was run. Yep. There is sprinting in Doom. Sprint. There is sprinting in Doom. So they... sprinting belongs in first-person shooter because it's mm-hmm. in Doom. Enough said. That argument is now done. Yeah. I think I also reflected on this on, on the, the Batted Halo show. Uh, space was, was, was your use. And alt with the arrow key would yep. strafe. <laughs> but at the same time, there was also... Uh, the keys above, um, well, the period and, and, and comma, if I'm recalling correctly, which have the uh, greater than or less than symbol, you could use those as well to strafe left mm-hmm. or right, where alt was just kind of a toggle similar to the shift. So if you use those ones, because most people had their hands rested, but if you moved up and learned to circle strafe, and that really came in handy with deathmatch. Circle strafing, strafe running to be able to get to uh, certain secret areas things like that strafe running in some in some cases you need to learn how to strafe run because it is the only way to get to certain areas uh you look at something like and i i hate this map specifically because the way you have to end it is you have to do a rocket jump to end yeah. in mount Erebus in inferno to get to the secret exit you have to do a, a rocket jump i mean you talk about like grenade jumps and rocket jumps in halo I mean, you had them. You had them all the way back in '93 with Doom. Yeah, the, the, there was definitely the the rocket jump. Uh, uh, though, while it was in Doom, I mean, Quake was definitely one that uh, popularized the the rocket jump. I can see why, because I hate using it in Doom. I in, instead of trying to do that rocket jump because I just get frustrated and my guy dies because I run out of the the invulnerability time. Uh, I just keep trying to hit the space bar. As I'm up against, it's like it's like hidden in that big blue wall on Mount Erebus, and you have to hit that skull. And if you are on the outside of the wall and hit space on the right part of it, you'll still trigger it. And so that's what I have to do every time because I just cannot get that damn rocket jump to work. But a lot of these things that you see, you know, that that are utilized as strategies in first person today, 
originated with Doom. You also take a look at some of the ways people play the game. Like, you had speedrunning. I'm sure it was probably in Wolfenstein as well, but you had people doing speedruns all the way up until, I think the last world record for Doom 2 was set in 2012. So you're looking at almost 20 years since the game came out, and there people are still doing speedruns. People are doing the ultraviolence setting no death runs. You got people doing no damage at all runs, which by the way, if you're able to do that, you are insanely friggin' good, especially with the hit scan enemies like the the former uh, Marines and former sergeants. So there's a lot of these things that that started in doom as far as how we play these games that are still carried on and, and are almost like a tradition now in first person shooter games today like obviously speed running and stuff was around with with other games but uh not not to the the extent i, I mean when doom came out i i mean go back in the 80s there were some adults but i mean it was primarily kids and then when this came out like i said when it came out i was 16 years old i mean like i'm driving i'm learning to drive a car right now yeah and, and still playing games and, and same thing my friends myself uh, doom came out when a lot of people that played games in the 80s i mean we're young adults and it really caught on and but even then it's kind of like people are are now entering the workforce and they're playing this and uh, it, it definitely helped propel it to uh, be more generational than just saying oh Nintendo is making this uh, to to kind of toy like this so it can be sold as a toy because of the video game crash of 1983. And another way that they were trying to reach that crowd was not only you know getting the older crowd, but also you know getting those gamers immersed in the game. So I mean, you have the first person perspective, being able to see the gun on your screen, really immersing you into the environment with the 3D environment. The character itself, the Doom guy, the guy that you play, is the epitome of the empty vessel for the player to inhabit. The hero of the game, he doesn't have a name. He's got no lines of dialogue. He's got some grunts. That's about it. <laughs> and his face on the HUD to show the character's health. And, of course, the ever popular, his guttural scream when he does end up dying. <laughs> uh, that's That's it. Otherwise, that's you. That's not a character that you're playing. That's you in the game doing all the fighting. And it was just that next step of immersion into games instead of being passive you are actively in the game there, there have been different speculations i mean some say he's um descendant of uh, bj blaskowitz uh from wolfenstein uh flynn taggart is another uh name that's been thrown around or was thrown around in, in media at the time so uh, i mean it's not like nowadays okay master chief is john 117 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and that you've got Captain Mitchell in Call of Duty. I mean, like, no, this this guy has no real name, and it's always been conflicting. I mean, even back then, before we started introducing Doom Three, uh, Doom Twenty Sixteen, and Doom Sixty Four, so and even the the, the Ranger in in Quake. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's always been speculation on the association between that game. Uh, and that character and uh the doom guy <laughs> oh we could do an entire podcast itself on on the, the lore of the doom guy and speculation i know in doom rpg they listed because it's two players there's there's bj blaskowitz so and stan blaskowitz so they're both either they're either descendants of bj blaskowitz i've seen things where they're the same person they're clones i've seen things where bj blaskowitz went forward in time and is the doom guy but john romero and tom hall both after 
after leaving id and doing their own things have come back to say that all of their all those id games are in the same universe wolfenstein commander keen doom i don't know about quake but i know those those three major ones those those are in the same universe so you know they have confirmed and denied whether or not the, that particular doom guy has a name but I, again i think it all kind of goes back to we'll let you guys kind of you know, speculate and put together your own theories and and run away with it and make it your own. I, I again, I think that's just kind of the, a tenant of their game making is you know giving the fans kind of some ownership with it as well. I mean, with with Quake, but uh, I mean the Ranger. I mean, you look at the the hub worlds before you go through the slip gates. Uh, uh, I mean, it's very reminiscent of, of Doom. So, in order to keep you you alive. You have a plethora of artillery to choose from. You have your contemporary weapons, such as the pistol and the shotgun, my personal favorite in Doom 1. I'm always running out of shotgun ammo because that's really the only one I'm using. Uh, For the first time, you actually get projectile weapons as objects. So the rocket launcher actually has an object that you can see. And the cyber demon, you can see his object coming at you and destroying you the sci-fi plasma gun and the devastating bfg 9000 all have projectiles on the screen a first time for first person shooters on pc when you run out of ammo you can equip your brass knucked fist or go evil dead and bring out the chainsaw and slice demons up not quite as satisfying as gears of war but again gears of war has about a 20 year head start so i'll cut it some slack the action is fast paced no reloading and the ability to carry all seven weapons at once as you progress through the game doom guy is a beast because my god that's got to be heavy yeah it really wasn't until halo where they 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 stripped it back i mean uh, any game you, you you played i mean like Heck, even GoldenEye on the on the Nintendo 64. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. mean, yeah, I don't recall Pierce Bronson uh, carrying all the weapons in, in the movie, but uh, you sure did in the game. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, definitely an impressive arsenal and a step up from uh, as far as options that uh, were available in Wolfenstein. I think they added two or, or three or four. Uh, more weapons than what you had in Wolfenstein as well. Yeah, the in, in Wolfenstein you just had the pistol, machine gun, yeah. which would be absent from Doom uh, until Doom Three, uh, and, and the chain gun. And obviously for the melee, you had your uh, your shank knife. <laughs> but given that you're in a prison, I would say it's a shank. I, I, I'm okay with calling it a shank. I say we go rewrite the manual right now. We take it. We we replace knife with shank. You're a prisoner of war, yeah. so it makes sense. Yeah. I, I've really started to... I, I love that shotgun. I've really started to appreciate the plasma gun in that game, especially in uh, in, in the level Inferno with a lot of the demons. Uh, that thing absolutely shreds, uh, especially some of the, the, the lower enemies to get them off the map so you can concentrate on, on the more deadly ones. But really been uh, playing more with the with the plasma gun now that I'm, I'm away from my shotgun. Yeah, the, I mean, the shotgun, I, I mean, every first-person shooter since Doom has a shotgun. I mean, it, it, it's... 
It's easily identifiable. It is just so ubiquitous with the genre. Uh, I mean, every game yeah. will have a different type of, uh, of game. I mean, the only game games I don't think it's as 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 popular might some of the World War II games that that, that came out because I mean historically yeah. they were using rifles uh, and that. But every game, I mean, Doom, Quake, Unreal. Halo. Uh, I mean, I mean, is it is it any coincidence Gears, that yeah. Halo, when they introduce the flood, is when they bring out the shotgun? Oh no, because that's that's what you need. You're everybody's <laughs> looking for a shotgun when you see the, when you see the flood coming because yeah, nothing yeah, else I works. Mean, like you're, you're not you're, yep, you're not absolutely. buying aliens. You're buying a relentless aliens that are just coming right after you. I mean, that's more doomed than than uh, what was previously uh, in the previous levels on Halo. Well, and and I think Doom Doom does a good job too of introducing the weapons as the enemies get harder as well. I mean, you don't get any of the sci-fi weapons in the first chapter, the free chapter, you get your your standard, you know, human-based yeah. weapons, but you also you don't get some of the the more difficult enemies. And speaking of enemies, you've got a varied group of demons coming out of hell. Uh, most of them being hand drawn and scanned, but others like uh, the Pinky Demons, the Cyber Demon, the Demon uh, Baron of Hell, and Doom Guy himself were all actually molded with clay, and the Spider Mastermind made from latex and metal. They were then photographed from eight perspectives and scanned into 2D sprites. So it's really easy to forget that the enemies aren't real 3D. They did a just the the programming for the movement of the demons is really really good that they had the way they move and how they turn it's very easy to forget that's not 3d until you walk up on them when they're a pile of goo on the bottom then you can kind of see as the as the the perspective you can kind of see the edge and it try to turn with you when you approach it otherwise you know especially with the floating enemies that the, it's very smooth that the illusion of 3d is done really, really yeah, well. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it goes back to to the immersion, and uh, I mean this this game mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. so fun, and uh, I mean it, it doesn't matter. I mean, everyone talks about graphics and frames per seconds and 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 4K now, but you you know what? If the gameplay sucks, it doesn't matter how good it is. But this gameplay is exactly. solid. That you don't notice all these little imperfections because you're just having the time of your life. Yep, exactly, exactly. And they nailed that, and they made sure not to jar you out of it by having something blatantly obvious either. Everything's smooth. Uh, you know, I, I think nowadays it, it's it's easier, you know, looking at it from a 2020 perspective, and you can kind of see the different things. But at that time, and it, when, when this was out and brand new and state-of-the-art, it's it's really impressive and really smooth and it makes it even that much easier to stay immersed in the game and continue to push forward and then holy crap it's 7 a.m and you got to go to school or work no that never happened to me at all (laughs) i'm gonna call bullshit on that and then the the enemy progression uh is is smooth as well you start mostly with your zombie troops your former marines former sergeants i'm not supposed to Former sergeants are great because they give you your shotguns and all your shotgun ammo. You uh, then get the brown imps, not the leather-clad BDSM kind. You got your pinky demons. They're less visible counterpart, the specters. And then as you go into the next chapter, 
you get your flying enemies. So the first time you have flying enemies in a game with the large number of lost souls. So apparently people need to go to church. And you two motherfuckers need Jesus. And then you also have the giant meatball cacodemons. Yep. Question. Uh, do you think John Romero and or John Carmack has a nickname for their junk called the cacodemons? I have no idea. It's never really been something I've uh, pondered. <laughs> But the, the fact that saying, it has one eye does uh, lead to some strange coincidence. <laughs> yep. Looks like Chuck's taken old one eye to the optometrist. Oh, there you go. The, the one demon he did forget that was in the shareware and was kind of treated as the boss for uh, on uh, the Phobos anomaly and um, Mission 8 was the Baron of Hell. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, the, the twin Barons of Hell. They, uh, they end Chapter 1 as your, your boss fights. The Cyber Demon ends Chapter 2, and the extremely devastating chain-gun-wielding Spider Mastermind is what finishes uh, Chapter 3 and the original game. What are we going to do tomorrow night? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Demon. Try to take over the world. Funny story about the uh, Twin Barons of Hell for Chapter 1. The very first time I played the game and I got to that fight... So you get to the fight, right? You raise up on this platform and there's these two pathways that lead to these doors and the doors open and then the barons of hell come out. The rest of the floor is red. And so I thought the floor was lava. And I thought you had to fight these two barons of hell on these two narrow walkways and I was getting obliterated. Uh by these guys. Oh, I forgot to grab the invisibility and, then. Well, I, I didn't have the invisibility, but I also, I didn't, I didn't realize that that floor, you can step on that floor. Yeah. That floor is fine. I, I, I saw, I ran out of ammo and I saw an ammo crate out on the far, the far off distance. And so I was like, screw it. I need ammo. And I ran across the, the, the floor to go get the ammo. And I'm looking down at my health and I'm like, oh, this isn't a damaging floor. Never mind. I can move wherever I want to take these guys out. It made that fight a lot easier, yeah. but I'm an idiot. So I thought the floor was lava. The floor was not lava. I beat the, the two barons of hell then. And then you go through the teleporter at the end and you think you're safe and you're not as you're attacked by demons from all sides. And you, well, you don't die because there's obviously another, not another chapter, but they, they beat you up pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's rather interesting. If you go in there with the cheat codes, uh, R D D Q D. I, I used to know it because when I was uh, watching wrestling for a little while, there was a tag team and their, their Titan Tron thing before they came out, it was the, the, the uh, God mode for yeah. doom. So I knew it then they're not around anymore. And so now I forgot it and I'll sure a quick Google search, I'll find it. But yeah, no, uh, yeah, definitely a lot of different codes in there and a lot of different cheat codes that you can use to help you out. But I did it the old fashioned way by learning by my stupid mistake, uh, and then moving on. That's, that's your first chapter, uh, that as we said, broken up into three chapters, the first one available by download, you could either download it off the server, which best of luck to you. If you're somebody that was able to actually download it on December 10th, 1993 from the University of Wisconsin server. Congratulations, you're one of only a few because that server had a hard time that night staying up. M must have been uh, like the Xbox pre-orders last week. 
Yeah, no, nobody's got enough. Yeah. Uh, no, the 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 attempt to download crashed that server a number of times, uh, and it was only until people who actually were able to download the game then posted it onto other servers across the world that people were able to have more options than just that one server in Wisconsin. Yeah, so, but uh, uh, eventually everybody got uh, it. at the same time. I mean, the shareware version. I mean, when I bought it, it was just on two uh, 1.44 uh, discs. Insert floppy disk you got your floppy disk so i mean it wasn't the discs weren't fully utilized so i mean it wasn't that big i mean obviously doing on dial-up i mean it's gonna take uh take a bit but uh, i mean it's not like now where you're trying to install a hundred gig game yeah well and, and and you bring up an interesting point that you you bought the shareware version there was a number of different ways you could get this you could get it via download you could get it via sharing a disc with a friend they were retailers it allowed retailers to take their game download it on discs and sell it and keep the profit mm. and they said no you go ahead you keep it they were so confident in their game and that they were going to make their money on it that they didn't care if somebody else sold their game and honestly looking back on it now great decision because the reverse royalty check that they got for the game was a hundred thousand dollars so not bad and they continued to get royalty checks of a hundred thousand dollars for months and months and months after yeah and uh, I, I mean I'm, I'm trying to find my my uh shareware discs and that like i said it was boxed and that and id id logo and all that even had it, it even had a, a precursor to the erb logo <laughs> uh, uh, just saying oh yeah this game's violent ah yeah, <laughs> yeah and uh, it's like it's like it's like the parental guidance uh stickers on on cds <laughs> well the uh the ever famous u.s congressional hearing on video game violence had actually just completed that day on on december 9th it was uh, was when the hearings closed and the u.s government told game companies you better figure out a rating system or we're gonna do it for you of course that was popularized with the uh the uh, congressional hearings with uh mortal Kombat and the ever dangerous game night trap yeah thanks night trap yeah, night trap way to go night trap we appreciate that your horrible b-level acting uh, at least with uh mortal Kombat, i mean at least it wasn't the super nintendo version with uh the green uh the, the green sludge green sweat <laughs> instead of blood yeah yeah i don't know don't know what you have but uh well aside from fact you're missing your spine but i think you need to see a doctor about that uh, and they they got rid of all the fatalities too yeah for doom yeah. all the levels follow the same structure you've got eight areas uh eight different areas with one secret area that you need to clear and move on spawn in find color-coded keys to open those respective doors kill zombies find the exit Learning lessons from Wolfenstein, uh, I talked about this earlier, they removed their limited lives, the high score tables and such. Uh, they just wanted you to get in and go. They didn't want you to, to worry about high scores and pickups. They did add yeah. a different variety of health pickups, uh, as well as power-ups and also armor for the first time to help mitigate damage. A lot of the games that I was, I was playing had the lives had the score i mean this is one of the first ones the only uh, other than games that were uh simulators mm -hmm. so the, the, this was the first game where it was like oh i don't have lives i can keep playing this game but oh you die and oh i lost my shotgun i lost my chain gun oh great <laughs> yeah, I, I mean and there but hey 
at the same time now, I mean, going back to what you're saying with the runs and that, I mean, there are people that go, you know what, I'm starting just pistol and fist. That's it. What's uh, what's some of your favorite favorite uh, areas on each level? Well, the first episode, uh, Knee Deep in the Dead, I'm, I mean, and I've commented on my previous appearances. I mean, that's my all-time favorite. I, I mean, Doom's my all-time favorite game. Every year I always go back and I, I play, especially that episode. I mean, I may continue on, on to that one. The, the first episode, it is just difficult. Uh, I, I mean, I mean there, there are some that I obviously have uh, appreciation of. I mean, Hangar, I mean, everyone recognizes. That's your first introduction, first impression. The nuclear plant, the, the second level, and uh, the fourth level, the command center, or command control those those ones really really stick out as well but uh i mean it's just it's just very good and then uh when, when i was playing through the shareware version i mean i didn't have internet i mean anything you heard for cheat codes so idd qd idkfa and so on you heard through through word of mouth uh, and then it's like playing through it's like okay i'm going to get all the secrets oh i didn't get this one okay reload my safe from beginning try to find it then i discovered oh hey there's a secret level and it's like no one ever mentioned this uh, when you when you leave the toxin uh, refinery and, oh mm-hmm. you're in the military base now yep. <laughs> like there's just a lot of memories uh, and i mean i only had the shareware version it wasn't until uh 1995 it's like oh what do i want for christmas for for my parents and it's like okay i want either the ultimate doom or uh dark forces uh, star wars which uh, at the time and this is something again to later is the doom it was referred to as a doom clone yeah. and that star wars uh, i mean mind you in 1995 um, star wars didn't have the clout that it would regain uh, a couple of years later <laughs> Uh, but sure enough, my parents got me Ultimate Doom, and it's like, okay, I'm going to go on. So the the next uh, episode uh, le- leading on on uh, in Hell, well, uh, the shores of Hell, I guess, because you're you're on the the other uh, moon now. I, I mean, shores of Hell. It was like, okay, there's new enemies. I've got new weapons, and and uh, that that one, uh, I, I more remember. Uh, you talked about was the Tower of Babel because a lot of the other levels, I mean, it was kind of similar to what was played beforehand, but it was now twisted by being in hell. Uh, but the the Tower of Babel, I mean, just with the the cyber demon, it was like, oh my goodness! Well, <laughs> like you start the level off, is... you open a door, and the first thing you hear is the cyber demon screech. So, yeah, yeah, that episode I I, I enjoyed, but uh, like, like I said, it was like. Okay, I was just so very familiar with, with it. The next episode, in, in Inferno, the one level that really sticks out to me is the the secret level um, warrants. Yeah, and it's you start off and it's exactly the same as the first level for that episode, uh, Hell's Keep, and, and you're playing through and you get to the exit. And it's like, okay, this is this is strange, and then all of a sudden, going back to just what our, our previous conversation right now. For for, for the previous episode you open up there's the cyber demon right there and now you have to backtrack and that that level always sticks out to me and it's 
very clever. And then with the Ultimate Doom, because this was the retail version, I mean, the first retail version of Doom was Doom 2. Uh, they, they came out with this uh, uh, a few months later, well, half a year later, I guess, cl- closer, not not just a few months. You had uh, Thy Flesh Consumed, and um, that one, uh, that episode was very difficult. They, they definitely upped the difficulty. Uh, I mean, there was some stuff, I, I remember, the secret level Fear, that was a good level. Hell Beneath, the first level, I... I mostly remember just because the the secret area for the original version. I don't think you can get it so much. You can't get it with the re-releases. They had the the Nine Inch Nails logo on the on the floor, and that if you uncovered that secret area. Yeah, and then fought a bunch of uh, Barons of Hell that were released as a result of it too, in a map that doesn't yeah. have a lot of uh, doesn't have a lot of ammo, health, and armor for you either. <laughs> no, those episodes were good, but everyone. Will think of the first the first episode. I, I mean, th- those were John Romero's levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Tom Hall helped out with one, and then the the last mission. Was, I'm trying to remember who who did that one. John Romero a few years ago uh, released his version of the the final level of of, of that episode. <laughs> Everyone thinks of that. It had the stars textures and, and just that level design. Everyone everyone thinks of that those levels when it comes to doom i mean the other episodes they're they're great but uh you you look at the first level hangar i i mean it's been recreated in so many other games that would allow user creator maps i mean like i remember playing it in in unreal and that someone recreated it and and there's probably versions that came out when uh, halo added forge that that whole first episode is, is just so ingrained in, in culture everyone thinks about it. i mean there, there are stuff in, in doom 2 that, that came out uh I'm, i mean obviously super shotgun being the first thing and and that but uh i, I mean i i've always preferred the ultimate doom to, to doom 2 uh, i mean the, the biggest thing that, that I would say for level design with uh, Doom 2 would be the seventh mission, uh, Dead Simple, where it was just a, a it's very similar to what you would see now for the uh, arena shooters. <laughs> Personally, for me, uh, Hangar, Hangar Bay is, uh, I, I mean, everybody knows Hangar Bay and, and associates that with Doom. Toxin Refinery tends to be one of my more favorite ones. It's a little bit longer. You've got a few more things you need to do, a few more secrets you need to find. It's the secret, if you find the secret exit that gets you into the hidden military base episode in there. For the second one, for for the moon, uh, Demos, it was um, Command Center. And what about the thing about Command Center is, is you're going through and you, you go in and then you've got all this green from all the, the, the toxic sludge. It's, it's, a, it's a refinery. It's supposed to be refining to- radioactive waste. So you go from all of this green, and then you go through a hallway, and then it's all blue. And, and you, you're kind of in this this part of the base. It's like, like a techie-type area, and you've got like this royal blue everywhere. And then you go through, and then you go through a door, and then when you go through that door, it's all red. And so you've got all these just different color contrasts that just look really cool, you know, in addition to kind of like this whole sci-fi base, but it's it's still a sci-fi base, but you've also, you also, you start to see the, the Baphomets and, and you start to see the, the, uh, the, the symbols. You start to see, you know, the things of, of, okay, you can tell that this moon 
is being twisted by being in hell and and you can kind of tell okay so this is this is where this started this is where this invasion started because you can kind of see those two worlds kind of coming together so that's a really cool mission for me just because of that it's kind of that melding of the two together yeah like i said the episode i mean the like as command center has a refinery it has the lab i i mean it definitely parallels the first episode <laughs> i love the walls and the wall texturing in this game especially when you get into hell a lot of the the, the distorted souls and and they did uh some of the levels had the texture mapping would scroll. And so you'd have these levels that had all this movement, even if you were standing still, uh, that was, that was really, really cool. Yeah. Just, just seeing that. I mean, it's, they were very creative with what they, they did. For those of you who purchased the full game, not only were you able to play the super awesome campaign that's now become iconic and legendary in the genre but you were also able for the first time to incorporate four player campaign co-op or via land connection you'd have two, or a four player co-op via land connection and two players via modem which was later updated to four player but more importantly than that doom was the creation of the deathmatch four or two player battles amongst your friends uh, it was John Carmack's last-minute addition to uh, work on getting PCs to be able to communicate with each other, to calculate where a person was on one computer and where a person was on another computer, and calculate whether or not you're able to hit or miss. It was kind of like a high-tech computer version of uh, Battleship. And he finally was able to find a way to get those computers to talk to each other, to register that. The deathmatch was born. Your first ever FPS multiplayer for those of you lucky enough to have been able to play it this is what really fueled the the footwork and the uh, the footpaths into the uh, tech centers to the libraries and then uh, people jumping on the computer and all shooting their friends playing some doom deathmatch was really something i mean this is probably the first thing everyone thinks about with the legacy of doom's deathmatch i mean like i commented earlier about the the game engine and art being separate and a lot of the technical stuff with deathmatch it was a game changer i didn't really play too much deathmatch with the the first doom my friend and myself he, he uh, lived a couple doors down and we, we met our last year of high school it was more doom 2 and that complete with yeah. modem sounds and everything And, yep, uh, yep. Uh, and so it was definitely Doom 2. I, I mean, I, we did go on the, um, I did give them like copy of the shareware version. We did try to, to do that, but more went to Doom 2. The, the thing I kind of compare this to that something I would have recognized or experienced or would have heard about was uh, Halo 2. And in college, people having Halo 2 land parties, like dorms, like dorms would be open. Like people would leave their doors open. You'd have all these these cables going this way, that way, other way. People were putting them outside their windows to the dorm, you know, below them. And so that everybody could kind of connect up and, and playing Halo 2 together. I, I imagine this was just the first variation of that and, and just how game-changing 
that was and you know what it opened the doors to moving on into the future as far as not only you know the, the multiplayer but you know where we are today you know with multiplayer being such a, a, a staple especially of games like like Halo like Call of Duty stuff like that 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 have their origins of that in this game all the way back almost 30 years ago now deathmatch is the legacy of doom the ability to mod doom john romero and john carmack they were at heart they were hackers and they kind of followed the hacker culture and one of the things about the hacker culture was nothing is yours your idea isn't yours you share your idea you need to allow people to build off of that to, to go where you were and where you end let somebody else kind of pick it up and run with it and they they took that to heart and when you bought the full retail version of doom that also opened up the game code and people could go in and they could change the code and they could change everything they could change levels they could change sounds they could change uh, the artwork in there to put in their own artwork for enemies and you had this massive community built around modding doom and sharing these these modifications on bulletin boards online and through discs uh through the the wad wad packs and uh, exchanging those and just being able to keep the game alive just by you know people being able to take their own creativity and either create new levels or create almost new games uh, entirely update the game i saw videos for a doom a classic doom mod called brutal doom and man that thing is i mean that would stand up to games you know maybe a, a really well-funded indie game now that was right on par with that it was it was it's amazing to see all of the different versions of mods that people were able to do with this game and and create their own not only their create their own art but for the people who were really really good that got their attention and by their the people from from id they got their attention some of their future employees got their start by being fans submitting maps the big name that i can think of off the top of my head is tom willits who ended tim. up being or tim willits excuse me i i get him and tom hall mixed up all the time he he was a fan that did maps did levels for doom they brought him in to help out with doom 2 i don't remember i think it was the the uh, expansions the master levels yeah, for the, doom and yeah, final the master doom. levels were all community and yep. that the, the yep, yep that's where he got his start you know doing this he was a fan and then they bring him in and he ends up being like a co like our lead director or creative director for id eventually yep. so he, he did um, uh a great way to find yeah. talent. He did do a couple of levels though for uh, the flesh consumed. So that was his first proper id release. The sequel, uh, which will uh, I'll cover in depth on the next podcast, but doom two was released in 1994 uh, sometime in 1995. It was actually believed that the original doom was on more computers than windows 95 to the tune of 15 to 20 million editions of just the free version. And it was so popular that Bill Gates would work with id software to market Windows 95 as a gaming platform. And they actually made a port of Doom to Windows 95 called uh, creatively <laughs> Doom 95. Doom would also release a remastered version utilizing traditional retail strategy 
with uh, both Doom 2 and the Ultimate Doom. Coming with Ultimate Doom, coming with the first three chapters and also adding a fourth, Thy Flesh Consumed, complete with awesome Nine Inch Nails Easter egg in there, as well as being a little bit harder than the original Doom. The learning curve for the skill levels that they have for Doom was... If, if you played, oh, I'll stick with Hurt Me Plenty. If you played Hurt Me Plenty on Doom 93, if you tried Die Flesh Consumed on Hurt Me Plenty, it was like you were playing Ultraviolence. They they kind of stepped up the learning curve for that yeah, chapter. I mean, in the second chapter, uh, Perfect Hatred, you have the Cyber Demon right there. And you're still trying to get all yep. your weapons. I mean, and this is probably the other thing we, we didn't really mention about to kill it. You got the Telefrag. Oh, telefragging. So I'm I'm still trying to figure out exactly. So because the game is based off of using teleporters, hello, halo. Now that's where if you go into a teleporter with an enemy, the teleporter will kill them or do you have to exactly? I, I guess I'm confused exactly. How yeah, if they're, if they're standing actually. on the exit. So going back to halo, you can block the teleporter in doom. If you're trying to block the teleporter, you're going to get gibbed but then like if you you can you also use the teleporter to kill the enemies yeah yeah so like i said if they're they're standing on so if you follow someone and then they don't get off well you're going to be you'll you'll get the kill rockets will go through the teleporters as well so i i I was i was i guess the thing that i was trying to figure out is you go into a teleporter you end up on the other side. If the bad guys, all the demons are rushing you, you kind of wait for a second, back out of the teleporter, wait a, wait another second longer, go back through, and if they were any enemies that were on that teleporter, yeah. you're done. Yeah, I, I more think of it from okay. the, the multiplayer. Ooh, I, I never got a chance to play the multiplayer. It, it's it's not available. I mean, I'm sure it is. I bet I bet if I did some digging, you could probably find a way to play it on online but just through the regular retail version unfortunately i had no it's not not so much through now now the the retail versions i mean they're they're there but uh, the community has mostly moved on to uh the open source mm-hmm. uh ports not so much for for the uh, multiplayer i mean there's still community there but uh, i mean the modding community i mean this game is, is almost 30 years old and there is still a very active modding community for the testament to its legacy i was able to so i have the ultimate doom also from steam i actually bought the ultimate doom first and then later on the doom 3 bfg edition was on sale so i was like i guess i'm gonna have two copies of doom the steam version of the ultimate doom that i had there's a few changes i don't know if this was in the retail version of the ultimate doom or not but some some differences that i noticed is one they gave you crosshairs which i don't know why because you can't look up or down because you can have enemies on two different levels and so the computer will actually calculate what you're looking at and then it will adjust the shot for you to go up to a different level if it has to which is kind of frustrating because sometimes you'll shoot the wall a few times first before it actually catches yeah i don't i don't call that the dos version uh i've had that a a few times and it's frustrating because i'm wasting shotgun shots that i'll need later because i'm shooting the wall before the computer goes oh yeah you're trying to shoot that demon that's above you okay never mind we'll we'll shoot there i noticed the ultimate doom added crosshairs which i didn't like because i felt like you kind of get that tunnel vision 
with the crosshair in the middle of the screen. And so I'm you're so focused on the crosshair that you're kind of missing everything out in the environment that's around you. I did notice that it allowed you to, I think when you clear an area, it will allow you to go in and you can actually select, you can select the chapter and then it will let you select what mission in that chapter you wanted to do, which is cool for me when I'm trying to do screen grabs of stuff. And then it also has a link to Bethesda.net and there are some additions that you can make in there. And I think they're, they're mostly with Doom 2 Plutonia experiment. Oh, that's the uh, final Doom but, oh yeah, Final Doom. It gives you the the Final Doom's chapters in there that you can download. And I think they also add a couple other community-based ones too. There's only a few. It doesn't give you the whole gamut that you could get if you actually went online into into bulletin boards and forums online and actually found, you know, exactly what it was you're looking for. But uh, those were just some of the changes I saw. Some color palette changes too. Otherwise, you know, the Ultimate Doom is just Doom with that extra with that extra chapter, but they just sold it at retail so that way they could double dip on some people. But Hey, you know what? That's fine for the for the game and what it was and what it was for the time. I'm sure nobody complained about having to pay, pay retail to get another chapter of of that game, and also to just make it more widely available. Yeah, it was, it was the availability. Like I said, the the first retail version was Doom Two. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I played the shareware version, then Doom Two, and then the Ultimate Doom. Yeah, it's been re-released. I mean, a lot of the stuff that you're mentioning. I, I know uh, Bethesda did a re-release uh, last year, 2019, um, as part of the the Year of Doom, doing for the 25th anniversary. So the one thing now, like for consoles and, and their launchers now that they've added mods final doom though those were two uh doom 2 wads john romero uh, came out with uh, an episode 5 uh, sigil that they added uh, as a download the stuff that bethesda is coming out with for mods on their the 2019 uh, re-releases it's just whatever runs on the, the original doom engine there, there's some mods that have completely completely changed stuff around they've added enemies weapons it's just completely uh changed the game so with all of this success from doom of course other platforms and other consoles are, are going to want to get a piece of the pie so we had all sorts of ports for other operating systems and consoles for doom with would have mixed to fair results the mac which john romero and john carmack working at soft disk they got their start working on the apple II. They made a Mac OS port in 1994. Consoles such as the Sega 32X, the Atari Jaguar, the Super NES, and eventually the PlayStation would all receive versions of classic Doom. Arguably the best port wasn't really a port at all, and that was Doom 64, which I think you mentioned earlier. Made for, surprise, surprise, the Nintendo 64, and it was actually a retelling of Doom developed and published by Midway Games. So the first Doom to actually be developed and published by somebody that wasn't id Software. It it was interesting at the time. I didn't think too much. Now with the newer games somewhat tying into include even that game, it it had an audience and, and now it's gaining a bit more... I think these games being available on Steam for people to discover them and play them, I think, is huge. I wish more games, especially after their quote-unquote lifespan is over, would be more willing to do something like that. Especially with that game. As far as, as the ports go, it's considered probably to be one of the best ones. Even though Midway, they decided not to go with a multiplayer aspect because they felt people wouldn't use it. Because people would be screen cheating. And so they decided to release the game 
without the multiplayer, which ended up becoming a disastrous decision because only a few months later, Rareware would release a game for the Nintendo 64. That would be one of those stepping stones to defining the FPS on console with GoldenEye. Oh yeah, screen cheating and all, nobody cared. I mean, everybody called everybody out for screen cheating, but you know, it didn't stop you from playing. Yeah, and the other thing as well, I mean, it wasn't just Doom that was brought over to Nintendo 64, brought over Quake, and that was a port, but it was also brought to the Nintendo 64. <laughs> Going back to the Ultimate Doom, when I got that one, it came with the shareware version of, uh, of Heretic. So I, I played that one as well. If you like this, you will probably like this because it is on the same engine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They they had a, almost like their own little launcher on the CD-ROM. And it, it said, here's our game. So here's Wolfenstein. Here's Doom. Here's Doom 2. Uh, and then they had Heretic. And it's like, play shareware version. I was like, oh, wow, I'm going to play this. And fun, funny enough, though, with, with Heretic, you, you type in the cheat code so if you type in god mode uh, id dqd it turns you into a chicken if you typed in the the keys and full ammo id cafe it took away all your weapons and, and with with those it would say cheater <laughs> and that you have nothing now they kind of throw that sense of humor in there as well and it's i it really it was that that ability and that knowledge and and really just having that finger on the pulse that that gave them you know the opportunity to make such great games that were so so well received and while these games were were wildly successful and adored by gamers all over the globe that kind of success will also not only come with notoriety but controversy doom became available as previously said on december 10 1993 one day after the U.S. congressional hearings on video game violence came to a close. Talked about that a little bit. Led by Senator Joe Lieberman, parent groups argued that games like Mortal Kombat, Night Trap, presented harm to children by immersing them in lifelike violence. The results of this hearing gave birth to the ESRB, which is the rating system currently still used today in the United States uh, for video games. I believe in Canada as well. In Canada, Canada, you yes. can tell me. Yep. And then it's called something else in Europe Peggy. Uh, for Doom, not only was the constant stream of demon blood and guts concerning, uh, but parent groups also focused on Doom's use of satanic imagery and the occult as being damaging to the millions of gamers playing the game hours on end. Some even going so far as to call Doom a quote-unquote murder simulator. Politicians and media alike would use Doom as an example of the harmful effects of being overexposed to graphic violence and imagery. Here's my question, okay? And 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 I grew up in in a Catholic household. Doom guy is somebody who's walking into hell and walking out of hell, killing as many demons as he possibly can. Like his whole goal in life and in the game is to kill demons. If that's not doing the Lord's work, I don't know what is. Like I said, I I was 16. When, when it came out, so I mean, I was playing when I was 17, 18. I mean, well, I, I mean, I'm 43 now and I'm still playing it. I, I mean, I never thought of it that way. I mean, it's funny how you, you comment about the satanic imagery, but I mean, 
you look at the um, command center and that the original Easter egg, one of the secrets with the computers that dropped down, it was supposed to be uh, the swastika representing a, a, a Wolfenstein Easter egg. I mean, that was later changed in, in uh, revisions of the game and that. So uh, there was that. But I mean, even its legacy, uh, you, you go to the 99, April 20th, uh, the Columbine no. shootings. Uh, I mean, people, again, were, were pointing the finger at, at Doom. I mean, Doom had long been replaced by, by Quake and other uh, first-person shooters. There were rumors, oh, they... The shooters created uh, a mod of their school. If they did, it was never released, or, or there's nothing to uh, substantiate that claim. But that's such an uh, extreme example. You, you must also go back like 20 years earlier. Oh, he's got a TV in his room, and that it's a bad influence. And then yep. now, yep. oh, video game, and now it's late 90s. It was, oh, he's got a computer games or a video game console oh, it must be games they're, they're always looking for a, a scapegoat the newest medium is always going to be the target for being that which corrupts the young i mean you talked about tvs movies back in the 30s was was the thing that everybody said oh my gosh that's going to lead to all sorts of hellfire and brimstone because people are watching movies that have all the stuff in them i mean you you go all the way back to caveman drawings and there you know it's it, it, there's always some sort of thing that it goes away from personal responsibility and, and and oh well it's this thing and it's usually the adults that aren't from that generation that don't understand it who don't play games like these senators that were having these congressional hearings i i guarantee you probably not a single one of them had ever picked up a video game in their entire life had absolutely no idea what it was about and and that's really what fuels it is it's fear of something they don't understand and don't know about and then when all of these bad things happen that they can't explain it's like well it must be this and so you know doom ended up becoming a target of that you know most most high profile being the columbine high school shootings in 1999 and to the point where actually families of victims brought lawsuits onto video game companies including id software for doom uh, to try to liable for you know the results of that shooting a few of those lawsuits were settled out out of court but the remainder of them were thrown out by the judge stating that there's no way that these game companies could have foreseen what would happen from making these games it's a form of entertainment yes it's interactive unlike you know tv shows and movies but it's it's an art form it's protected speech and just because somebody takes that and does something terrible with it you know that's a tragedy but you 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 know the the focus was pulled away from you know the people that were the perpetrators because they weren't here anymore they, people people needed to focus their anger and their grief on something because they couldn't do it on the people that committed these tragedies so they're they're trying to find you know explanations as why and hold somebody accountable for what happened they tried with the video game industry and it didn't work but you fast forward to you know 2019 2020 anytime that there's any type of shooting that happens in the United States of America. Immediately, everybody goes to violent video games. Immediately, everybody goes to violent TV and violent movies. And people point to studies. One side points to this study that says that it, that it's it's a contributing factor. The other side points to this other study that says that it's not. And so it, it's it's a battle that that the industry is going to have to continue to fight until the next form of media medium comes along. And that people don't understand, and then then the scapegoat, the goalpost gets moved, so to speak, to that new one. So in the case of Doom, for the millions of people who have played this game, 
we can really only come up with one situation where people who are were self-described huge fans of the game did something terrible. I think that you're looking at a statistically insignificant number to really show, you know, a, a connection or a correlation between that. So, you know, it, it's it's one of those things. It, it it will continue to happen. People will continue to talk about it. It's a talking point. It brings clicks to news articles and news reports and you know, unfortunately, that's just kind of the, the world that we live in right now. I, I mean, the violence in Battlefront 2 versus Doom, it, 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 the gameplay is, is pretty similar. It's just Battlefront, there's no blood. And get distracted by, okay, what's, yeah, there's blood. Okay, that's that's the art. I mean, what's the action in that? If a person plays Doom versus a game like Star Wars, which is probably the biggest multimedia thing out there <laughs> and plus it's owned by disney now so really how how awful can it be yeah the actions are exactly the same so if you had two people shoot up and it's like you know what one person has doom sitting on their desk they're going to point at that they go into their kid's house always oh, got an xbox but all there is on there is just star wars battlefront they're not going to blink an eye sure Sure, but then you see Doom and you see a, a a picture of a horned demon on it, and all of a sudden it's oh my gosh, somebody get the holy water. The power of Christ compels you. Yeah, the la- the last thing uh, I mean to talk about Doom's legacy, uh, other than than this, uh, I mean now everyone talks about first person shooters. In the mid '90s, it was a Doom clone. Everything came down. Uh, I, I mean, even Wolfenstein, which was a predecessor, was referred to as a doom clone yeah and like i said star wars came, lucasarts uh, they saw a star wars mod for doom and it's like well we should do our game they did dark forces and, and it spawned the the jedi knight sequels that was referred to as doom clone it's star wars like i said star wars in 1995 didn't have anywhere the amount of clout i mean it was slowly building back up in the public consciousness but i mean it was definitely not what it is today i mean that was a doom duke nukem 3d it was known as as a doom clone mind you it it soon gained a a life of its own just because of its sense of humor (laughs) Uh, yeah that was definitely not put it in a polite way (laughs) yeah that was definitely not a game for kids yeah even the original quake it was like oh it's next doom and and all that i mean it wasn't really until like where you started having major first person shooter games that could stand on their own like like i said dark forces and jedi knight star wars star wars is its own thing that's that's an anomaly i, I mean but you start having duke nukem 3d which has its own audience and and it's more uh infamous than famous but it wasn't until like yet quake Quaked to Unreal and Half-Life where it started to become, okay, this is an actual thing. This isn't companies just copying, the, trying to copy the success of Doom. It's like people were starting to figure out the, the formula and the and the spice yeah. <laughs> that made Doom work. Mind you, I mean, nowadays, I mean, going back to those three examples, Quake is a, is a shadow of its of its former self doom has rightfully taken back the crown but that's a debate for another episode unreal is more known for an engine nowadays than an uh, than an actual game and and half-life is is kind of gone the way of of 
of, of a similar fate of Duke Nukem of vaporware. The the popularity of of Doom you, you cannot be understated. It, this was the game. This was the franchise that that arguably kicked off the first person shooter boom. I mean, yeah, you you have these all these games called Doom clones. Many of those games utilizing the exact same engine they they went to id and said hey we want to use your engine to build our game and you know they would end up getting you know money from all these other developers making first person shooters that operated off off that engine everybody was was trying to jump on and get a slice of the fps pie and it's all because of of the work that was done by these you know, three, I guess three and a half guys over at id. Poor Tom Hall. I feel for yeah. him. I, I, I'm, I'm reading Masters of Doom right now, and uh, I, I got to last night. I got to the part when, when they had to let Tom Hall go, and it was just, it's ah, uh, as, as somebody who loves story and game, like, like that quote from John Carmack. Yeah, it's funny, but it's also like, but that's part of what I love about games and to see somebody else who's, I mean, he was the creative director, somebody that had this massive backstory and really could have pumped a lot of uh, life into this, this game to see him let go. I mean, that broke my heart, but you know, they kind of, they kind of paid for it a little bit later on. Um, but we'll, we'll get to that at that point. But as far as doom itself, even today in 2020, I can jump on that game. I can jump into doom. I could, pick any of the four levels and I will sit and I will play through it for, for hours still now, almost 30 years later. It's a lot of fun. It's fast. It's in your face. It's easy to pick up. The skill floor on this game is really low. If you can move WASD and use a mouse, you can play doom. And honestly, that was the whole reason I started playing it was because I wanted to go back to basics of mouse and keyboard so I could use it for some more of the more modern games. I play Division 2, and I would prefer to be able to play Division 2 on my PC with mouse and keyboard instead of connecting my Xbox controller to it. I just feel like I will probably end up having a lot more control, but I wanted to go all the way back. And if you go back to you know, a game like this and go back to the basics, it's simplistic. But it's also, it's one of those things where it's got that low skill floor, but it's got a high skill ceiling. There are so many different things that you can do and routes that you can take and ways that you get there and how you manipulate the movement that separate, you know, the people who are just beginning the game and the people who have become masters of the game. Um, uh, people would see that during the deathmatch games and, and how people would manipulate movement, you know, to be some of the top deathmatch players in doom so it's even even now if it's something uh, that you haven't played before or if it's been a while since you played it i highly recommend you know having it as part of your gaming library there's no reason not to it's available in so many different places um, and it's sometimes it's good just to have for just some mindless fun like we said you're not hampered by the story so just go in shoot zombies shoot demons work your way through conquer hell do the lord's work as i said <laughs> and hey it, it's 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 for me i've been definitely using it as a stress reliever during stressful times definitely does a good job of that yeah and the, the one thing to, to, to end on with the legacy of doom in, in 2015 they, they started the the world video game hall of fame it was one of the six uh enshrined in in that class it was enshrined with pac-man Pong, Tetris, Super Mario Brothers, and World of Warcraft. 
I mean, wow. Okay, that that that's popular for its own other thing, but the the other four, I mean, Pong, Pac Man, Super Mario, and Tetris. I mean, that is very esteemed company that Doom was recognized with. I mean, those games yeah. right there. That's the foundation of gaming that we see today. Are those four games? Yeah. World of Warcraft was with it. I mean, like. I think it was more. I think money talked more with that just because of the number of subscribers. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, did Blizzard yeah. open up the, the checkbook for that one? Yeah, it's like how Whitney Houston got on this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But uh, but like I said, with the other four games, I mean, like that that is very esteemed company. Yeah, I I think Doom's Doom's place in video game history is is pretty much set. Um, it might not have always been that way. And we'll kind of talk about that on the next episode when we talk Doom 2. And then uh, after Doom 2, we'll move on to 3 and some other the side projects. And uh, that's when the legacy of Doom gets to kind of be a bit of a roller coaster ride as well as a bit of a roller coaster ride for id Software and the employees and founders themselves as we get some interesting things of people coming and going at that time so in the meantime guys uh that's going to be it for this doom retrospective i will have a link to all the places that i went to for research on this a lot of youtube videos a lot of great uh, great youtube uh, creators out there that made a lot of videos on the history of doom and id so i want to make sure to give them credit uh, for all their awesome information. Masters of Doom, uh, a book. Uh, I don't have the author or anything in front of me. I've actually been listening to it. Um, Will Wheaton does the audio version of Masters of Doom. So it's kind of cool having Wesley Crusher read uh, the history of Doom and id to me. Um, highly recommend up, that Wes. book. <laughs> Shut up, Wesley. Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> also, uh, for those of you guys that have Netflix, there's a series on Netflix called High Score. And it's all about all of the the groundbreaking video games in, in the history of video games. And uh, the last episode actually focuses on Doom and Star Fox. So that's um, uh, also where I got a lot of the information. So be sure to check those out. As far as the next episode, I will put a post up on Twitter when uh, we're getting close to release. I'm not putting any sort of time frame on these podcasts. I just want to give myself enough time to record make people like canuck have them available so that they can join me and then uh, be able to kind of produce and add some of the editing and stuff to it just make it as as entertaining and enjoyable as i can i sure hope that you guys enjoyed this episode our first episode on the doom series it has come to a close i want to thank my guest today canuck for joining me thank you so much sir i do appreciate it thanks for having me back no doubt and then uh we will be back with doom 2 so get your super shotguns ready find those invulnerability spheres and let's go kill some demons ribbon tear